When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TDN Fantasy. The TDN Fantasy Podcast. Podcast With your host Paige DeMakos, Jamie Eisner, and Jake Arians. Welcome into the TDN Fantasy Podcast. Paige DeMakos, Jake Arians, and Jamie Eisner. And we have a lot of headlines to get into. Uh, Courtesy of Amy Trask, we have an awesome discussion topic about head coaches in the NFL. Uh, in which case I think we're going to play a little bit of we told you so on some of those hires that were made. Uh, We're also going to discuss the NFL referees new deal. Jake got into it a little bit in his last points of our last podcast, but wanted to talk more about the impact because it's one of the things that happens in the NFL. It's a big deal. And as Jake pointed out on our last podcast, isn't being discussed enough. We're also going to give you our waivers and preview Thursday night football, but We're going to start out here with our headlines, Uh, a couple of things that have happened. Uh, First and foremost, we had a discussion about Steven Goskowski and how he hasn't been doing what we have come to expect from him, Uh, and he was placed on IR. So, Jake, you know a little bit about what it's like to kick injured. Discuss maybe why this is such obviously such a big impact and how long this could take and what the impact is for the Patriots. Guys, look, I got to test to this. I mean, maybe there's a reason that Guskowski was missing some extra points. It's like being a pitcher in baseball. If you're not healthy or you're trying to pitch with a torn rotator cuff or a sore elbow or whatever it is, kicking in the NFL, while it may seem like it's not that hard or that big of a deal, it is. And if you're injured, I can attest to it. It's really hard to make kicks. Um, them putting him on IR, we talked about the other day, is huge because there ain't a lot of dudes walking the streets that are Steven Guskowski. He's one of the best ever and damn sure one of the best for the last 10 years and has been a staple for them. And if this offense isn't as good and their defense is this good, they're going to need to win close games. So whoever they bring in to kick is going to be really interesting to see how they do. Maybe they do better because he was struggling. But this is a, this is big news, him going on IR. Yeah, as we pointed out in the last podcast, there are a lot of teams in the NFL that have been looking for other kicking options. They are not walking the streets. There are not a lot of guys that can come in and take the place of a guy like Steven Goskowski. What's the overall look, outlook here, Jamie? Because obviously this is going to impact the Patriots' season um, in some capacity. It's not Tom Brady. We're not trying to make it into this huge deal. But when you talk about the weather changing and going into it being cold in Foxborough and them needing big kicks in cold moments, there's this is going to matter. This is going to impact this team. Well, absolutely it's going to impact this team. And the other thing is you only can bring two of these guys back. You have Nikhil Harry on IR. You have James Devil on IR. You have Steven Goskowski on IR and about five other, five, six other guys on there. You can only bring two of them back. So now you're going to be without a starter somewhere on the field for the rest of the season guaranteed no matter what happens with their health. But we talked about this a lot in the last show. This is a team that has one goal. It's simple. It's win the Super Bowl, period, end of story. Anything else is a failure. Nothing else matters. We have seen how close some of these games can be, especially that I don't think the Patriots are an elite team. 
they're a team that's going to be in contention. They're a team that's a Super Bowl contender, but there are no elite teams right now. I mean, they barely got out of Buffalo when Josh Allen could not have played a worse football game and they only won by six. They won, but they don't look like world beaters. They're going to be in close games in the postseason. They're going to need to make field goals and extra points in the postseason in order to get to the Super Bowl. The, the drop-off from a, a player of Goskowski's level, even at the way he's been playing this year, missing the extra points, the drop-off from him to the best available player on the free agency is massive. And that is could be the difference in winning and losing a football game in January. Yeah, yeah it'll be really interesting too, Paige, is uh, it's really, to me, is, is Belichick. I mean, he, he doesn't think twice, right? Send him out. That's three points. Depending on who comes in and how they're doing, it's going to be like, do we send him out for 52 or 51 when the weather starts changing a little bit, which I haven't thought twice about in 10 years? This could be really interesting. Does Belichick start going for it on fourth and one? I mean, that's really where it's going to change is right now he's ne- it's not even a second thought. Send him out and get the three points, right? Yeah, it's automatic, right? He knows you're going to send him out there and it's automatic with the exception of what has been the last few weeks. But that is going to change dramatically now knowing that you know, you didn't go into any game this year thinking, yeah, Goskowski's probably going to miss this, right? They're going to have to change the game plan. It is going to change how the, especially like Jake's talking about, are they going to go for it on fourth down on some of these 50-50 plays that we've seen a lot of people in the NFL start to do when you don't have a great kicker out there? Yeah. It, it is a possibility. And look, he struggled with extra points this year. He was fine on the regular field yes, goal attack. Yes, good so, point. I mean, it, there's, so even if you say that they can't get any worse in the extra point game, they're going to get worse when it comes to kicking field goals. And like Jake said, you know, all those fourth and twos between the from the between the 40 and the 50, all of a sudden you're going for it every time. Yeah. It's a, a couple other things we want to get into here on our headlines. Christian Kirk out uh, officially, and I just got an update from the Arizona Cardinals from Cliff Kingsbury that Andy Isabella will be starting and starting on the outside. Well, they, so, have, they have no other receivers. Yeah, they don't have any Bird's other receivers. But, Jamie, talk about the impact from there are people that start Kyler Murray, right? There are people that have been starting Christian Kirk. There are people that start Larry Fitzgerald. And this is all impactful having Christian Kirk out of this lineup. It is. I think it's the biggest boost goes to Larry Fitzgerald because now that's going to be the safety blanket on every throw versus he's had kind of a couple different options. They would line up Fitzgerald uh, to the outside of Christian Kirk a lot. In, it in also allows you to double team him now. It does, but I, I mean, are we going to double team these guys when they're only going three yards down the field? True. <laughs> I mean, very, very true. You're still playing them in a, in a massive zone. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's Keyshawn Johnson should see some more. I mean, he's been getting more targets. He should see a little bit more. I mean, Andy Isabella has to play now. Um, you know, Trent Sherfield's going to be out there. But again, you're running a lot of these four or five receiver sets, and you don't have a lot of talent out there now. No. So it, it's just, it's not good news. I mean, Kyler Murray's been a borderline QB1 the last couple weeks just because, I mean, he didn't get the volume last week, but he's gotten the volume before. I mean, Cincinnati's not stopping anybody either. So, uh, I mean, you're still probably playing him. He's like my – I think he's my QB12 this week. So, there, there, is a, there is a scenario where you're starting him this week. But can't feel great about it. And if you have – I wouldn't pick up any of these other cards. I wouldn't pick up Isabella or Keyshawn Johnson or, or Sherfield or any of those guys. But you're a little bit more confident starting Fitzgerald a little bit. But that's really about it. Yeah, I mean, the other big one for this game is John Ross going on IR. Yeah. I mean, that, to yeah. me, I mean, they, they, when no A.J. Green, this offense was okay for a while, but they, they, they can't sustain anything else. I mean, I, they're going to have to take a massive step back. He was playing pretty well. 
So that's what I wanted to ask you guys here, because now you're talking about a banged up Joe Mixon, right? He's still, still dealing with lingering injuries. AJ Green out. Now John Ross out. What do you even, what do you, we, obviously we know this team is not good, right? They do not look very good. But for the people that have Joe Mixon, right? It's going to be really hard to own Joe Mixon going forward because this offense is going to be down in a lot of games. They're going to be forced to throw the ball and everybody's going to stack the box because they don't have anything else to do here. So what's the, what do you do if you have Joe Mixon, Jake? I hope somebody's a Bengals fan that wants to trade him. I, trade for him? I don't know. I mean, I think Gio, Gio Bernard's going to go up because he plays on third down. He's their pass receiving back. Uh, you know the Cardinals, after cutting Swearinger, are going to double team whoever the tight end is. They're, you know, I mean, like that's they're they're not giving up one fifty to the tight end again. I wouldn't think they're going to double team him and double team Boyd and stack the box like it's. And they've been rushing the passer pretty well. So Cincinnati didn't get these offensive linemen back. It's going to be that's not like a absolute do not watch football game. But I don't know what you do with Mixon at this point, other than where you drafted him, you have to play him. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the issue. Like, you can't trade him. You're not going to bench him. Um, you know, it, it's interesting to see what you can do. I think Auden Tate is worth picking up and, and playing in a flex spot. Uh, I think he could have he could have a big week there. I do want to see what happens with Tyler Eifert. I mean, they, the Cardinals re- ended up, uh, I don't know if you saw it, but the Cardinals ended up releasing Schweringer two days ago. All, like, yeah, I don't they, 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 they cut him. They don't have that much yeah. depth at the position to just start. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't like anything about this. The issue with Mixon, let's get back to that central point of they still don't use him in the passing game the way I think they should. He's yes. a much better pass catcher than the way he's been used. And I thought Zach Taylor would do that, would use him a little bit more in that role this year. He has not. So you're kind of in this weird spot where, again, guys like him, guys like James Conner, you know, guys that you spent first round picks on that are probably just flex plays going forward. But I mean, what are you going to trade them for? You going to trade them for a bench guy? Like, who's who's going out there and actively seeking Joe Mixon right now? You can't, Nobody. right? You can't. And as Jake said, you go, oh, I hope there's a Cincinnati Bengals fan in my league that wants Joe Mixon. This reality is, it's not going to happen, right? Joe no. Mixon's nobody's going to move him now. This offense is going to be worse as the weeks go on. A.J. Green, as we talked about uh, on yesterday's podcast, there's been discussion about him being traded already. I can't imagine that they don't try and do something with him uh, considering where they are this season, right? It it doesn't make sense for them not to try and get something for A.J. Green, and I can't imagine they're not going to do it. So watch out for that. That will obviously boost the value of A.J. Green for those of you who did draft him. But everybody else at this point where you drafted Mixon, you kind of got to play him, and you're probably not finding a better option, right? Like you're probably not finding a better option, and that's unfortunately I wish I could give you better advice, but that's kind of the situation as it lies. All right, I want to go through this. Amy Trask tweeted this out, so I want to give her a a shout-out for that. There are five new head coaches in the NFL this year, with the exception Bruce Arians is not a new head coach, right? He's the head coach in the NFL, but he's not new, right? He came back. So of the four out of the five, four are winless, okay? Zach Taylor, Cliff Kingsbury, Vic Fangio, and Brian Flores. Don't come at me with the tie for Kingsbury. That does not count as a win. It is a tie. They are winless. They have not won any football games. Very interesting topic here because – there's a lot of discussion in the offseason about all this new age in football and, and hiring these new guys. Then you have Vic, 
who's an old school guy who goes to Denver where you assume he's going to elevate an already good defense, right? There's there's a lot of outliers. We have one team, one of the coaches I mentioned, who's obviously tanking, right? We had Cliff Kingsbury, who, if you are living in Arizona, you heard might be the second coming of Jesus to change everything that's going to happen here uh, in Arizona. And there's Zach Taylor... Everybody pretty much expected Cincinnati to be pretty bad. But winless, all four of those coaches, I don't think anybody expected it to be that bad. So, Jake, what are your thoughts on on that stat? And obviously, kind of this new age with head coaches and and maybe that people jump the gun on some of these real young guys that got hired. They absolutely jumped the gun. I mean, I don't think anybody could even argue that at this point. The one outliers, Vic, they lost on two last-second field goals. That defense is probably a little older than any of us gave it credit for, and he probably had his work cut out for him a little bit more there than we thought. They're going to be okay. They're going to win some games. They're not going to be as good as we thought going in, but they're going to be okay. Uh, And Vic's solid. The other guys are are not only adjusting to being head coaches, they're adjusting to being play callers. In Kingsbury's case, a play caller in the NFL. Uh, They don't have staffs where there's, there's cohesiveness from top to bottom. A lot of them have defensive coordinators that they didn't know. You know, you have split locker rooms. There's a lot of different things here. But the biggest thing was everybody wanted high-flying whatever. If you knew Sean McVay in in Taylor's case, you got a job. It makes no sense. The Rams have come back to earth. You put it on tape. When you put it on tape, people learn how to stop it or slow it down. Uh, And not everybody has the Rams personnel. Les Snead did a hell of a job even when Jeff Fisher was the coach of building that roster. So I think there's a lot of things in play here. But a lot of it, even like in Flores' case, Flores wasn't even, Belichick wouldn't even name him the defensive coordinator. He was a defensive play caller. And yes, he apparently was very impressive in the interviews the year before, yada, yada, whatever, took over an inherently bad situation. I think the other part here is you're a new head coach for a reason because the team that you just took over sucked the year before. Salary cap issues, all that stuff. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it, but a lot of it is that owners just reached. They wanted a young, they want McVay, and they want Shanahan. And I've, t- I've told you for two or three years now, those guys, they don't just grow on trees. Guys that grew up the way that I did, that got into coaching early and paid their dues, they, they're, not, there's not, they're not a ton of them out there. No, I mean, it's something we've brought up on the show more times than we can count. That they're looking for, People are looking for a shortcut. They, they can't find those guys, so they're trying to find, how can I you know, skirt around and maybe find one of them? And, and they're not doing it. With everybody, uh, with the Vic Fangio stuff, it's interesting because, yes, the defense has underperformed my expectations. I think I saw a stat yesterday that they have taken, they have driven down the field and taken a lead in each of their last two games in the final 90 seconds and have lost both of those games. Yeah, that's bad. I mean, they've had a terrible luck, terrible schedule. That's not on the coach. For his best statistical season of all time, which is crazy to think about. I mean, it's getting four games in, but that's still crazy to think about. Uh, I still think they'll be okay-ish at some point. The Dolphins, like, I don't know what to do with that because that team's actively – that front office is not trying anymore. So I, I don't even know what to – how to evaluate that. Uh, with the Zach Taylor stuff, I thought we would see some more creativity there. I know A.J. Green's been out, but there's some talent on that Cincinnati offense. I mean – They were okay early, but they don't use Mixon like Gurley, right? If no. they're supposed to be the next coming of the Rams, then you have a guy just like Gurley there. Yeah, they, they don't use it. They have pieces. Like, girl, uh, Mixon's been productive in the league. Gio Bernard's been productive. Tyler Boyd's been productive. You had John Ross for a second. Like, you have Tyler Eifert. Like, you have pieces there. That Andy Dalton threw for 400 in Seattle in week one. Like, they were okay. Yeah. But, you know, the other part of this I want to mention, too, is 
coaching is taking the players that you have and putting them in positions to win games. Because at the end of the day, if you don't win, you get your ass fired. Nobody gives a damn what your offensive system is called and that you want to take the players you have and put them in your system and build towards that. You know why that doesn't work? Because you don't win games and you get your ass fired before your system is able to work. I don't know why all of a sudden these owners went, let's bring in this dude. We're going to give him four years. You know why they don't do that? Because there's no asses in the seats. There's nobody in the suites buying the suite tickets. The merchandise sales go down. And owners only care about one thing, and that's the bottom line. The thing, the thing that you're talking about here is the difference between college football and the NFL. When you're in college, you're, you can be afforded the opportunity to say, I'm going to build my team my way. Because when you walk in as a college football coach, you inherit a bunch of players who don't play your system, who aren't your guys. And then you have to recruit for a couple of years to then get to your system, to then play the way that you want to play, right? That is okay. That makes sense. In the NFL, that's not what you're doing. The turnover rate, the amount of people, the average player in the NFL plays for three years, people. college NFL coaches do not have four seasons to build a team. Nobody is going to hold you, hold on to you other than the Cincinnati Bengals who held on to Marvin Lewis for the longest period of time because he has probably naked photos of the owner. That's the only one, okay? It doesn't happen in the NFL period because all they care about, as Jake said, is the bottom line. And if you don't win, you don't put butts in seats. You don't get people there. One of the biggest and biggest franchises in the NFL, one of the most, like, the longest standing, the Washington Redskins, if you saw them play on Monday Night Football against the Chicago Bears, first and foremost, half the seats were empty, and the ones that weren't empty were Chicago Bears fans. That is embarrassing. That is not a good look for the NFL, and that's not a good look for an owner. And I can assure you that changes will be made because that's what they have to do. Even though we all agree that Jay Gruden's a good coach, you have to move, you have to change things. You can't you can't do this. It's not college, as 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 we've so very very eloquently stated on multiple times on this pot on this podcast about head coaches in the NFL. Here's a now, point to that too, Paige, thought, before, before you jump off to the next yeah. thing. If if Lincoln yeah. Riley gets the Washington Redskins job, and Jay Gruden goes to Oklahoma, you know what you're going to get? The exact damn same thing. Jay Gruden's a phenomenal coach. He knows how to take a top-rated quarterback, put him in space, and throw for 500 yards a week. Lincoln Riley's going to take a quarterback. They played one year in college, a bad roster, try to put in a system, and they're going to go 2-14. and 14. And I love Lincoln Riley. My point is the gap from college to the NFL is gigantic, and it's widening by the year. Just out of curiosity, does anybody remember the Kirk Cousins that played under Jay Gruden? That's what I'm because saying. that is the best. We have never seen that Kirk Cousins again, and we will not because he got the best out of Kirk Cousins. I, I never knew that I was going to like wake up one day and be standing on the soapbox for Jay Gruden like I have the last like month and a half. But I, it's I just it, it boggles my mind because I saw it today because he made a comment about like he's being coy about his quarterback situation, but people are taking his comments like we don't know what we're going to do there as if he has no control over the team. No, they're just not telling you who they're starting this week. Every coach does this. When Belichick does it, Belichick's it's a genius for exactly, exactly. Go ahead. Yeah. It's savvy when Belichick does it, but it, it's it's you know, but when Jay Gruden does it, it's oh he doesn't know what he's doing. Like I, I, 
No, look at the Kirk Cousins that's been on the field the last two years, and look at what Kirk Cousins did with Jay Gruden. Oh, and by the way, you want somebody that you know that shook hands with Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan? How about someone that gave them jobs on the staff and helped train them and get them to the point where they're at? How about yeah. that? Why does he get yeah. no credit for that? I, I don't know. I still don't know why he gets no credit for that. I, it's but we have he, brought took, it up. he took a chance on Sean McVay too. Yeah, which coming when, uh, because he was, he came right there right after Tampa, right when he yeah. was just like you know getting coffee. Listen, we have talked about this. Jamie has talked about it. It's funny because he feels one way about John Gruden and a completely different way about Jay Gruden. He's captain of one Gruden's fan club and the opposite for the other one. But we have talked about this before that there are the media, the NFL media, the podcast, everybody picks and chooses what they want and what the storyline that fits the narrative. Because I don't think anybody on this podcast thinks that the Washington Redskins offense had a better unit when Kirk Cousins was playing in Washington. He upgraded literally every position that he played with wide receivers, tight end, running back, offensive line, and defense. And we all like Mike Zimmer. But look at what's happening to Kirk Cousins and Jay Gruden gets no credit. I, I can't believe I've become a Jay Gruden fan, but here we are, right? I've We've been it for three or four years. I know it's it's unbelievable, but it's and the Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay stuff that Jamie brought up is it's unbelievable that he gets no credit for that. Uh, you know, the other part there is bad ownership. But you, when your GM and your head coach are come from different schools and don't know each other and aren't on the same page, and the head coach works for the GM, not with the GM, you don't have cohesiveness. You don't win. Why the hell do people not see this? It's like, not it, hard. It's no, not it's, it's mind blowing. No, it is mind-blowing, and it's not that – listen, Dan Snyder is a bad owner, and he will continue to be a bad owner until he lets his head coaches and GMs do what they need to do. And Jay Gruden hopefully gets another opportunity in the NFL because I think he's a hell of a coach, and I think he'll do a good job wherever he goes. But good luck coaching that team, Lincoln Riley. If that's that's where you go, like Jake said, that team will be 2-14. and That team will be terrible. By the way, any any Oklahoma fans listening, I freaking love Lincoln Riley. I love the staff. I love what Lincoln Riley's doing. I love the person. I'm just saying the gap between the two, if you think that's the end-all, be-all, the gap between college and the NFL is gigantic and it's getting wider. I would like everyone to go look at what Nick Saban did when he came to the NFL. Okay? Just go back. Take a look. I know everybody likes to pretend like Nick Saban's the, like I said, the second coming of Jesus, I'm going to bring it back up again because he is. He's an unbelievable head head coach in college football. We're talking about two completely different animals. They are not the same. They are not the same at all. And just because you're good at one doesn't mean you're going to be good at the other one. And it's, it's just that is just the way that it is. All right. As if we, you guys weren't getting used to us getting all worked up. Now the, the crowning jewel of getting worked up. Oh, come. God dang it. <laughs> now we got to bring this up. The NFL referees and what has transpired over the weekend. Jake brought it up in his three points at the end of, of Tuesday's podcast. And I want Jake to elaborate a little bit on it and, and what it means. And then Jamie and I will respond. But this is this has been the Arians family versus referees is one of my all-time favorites, right? It, it's, it's Jake. It's I watch it on the sidelines with Bruce, and I've been afforded the opportunity to sit in a box with Christine and listen to that versus the referees. It's highly entertaining, and as a NFL fan, the referees matter, okay? 
what happens with the collective bargaining agreement and how long this deal is? Seven years, right, Jake? This is a long yes. time. This is a very, very long time that we are going to have to deal with what we deal with on a weekly basis, which is terrible refereeing, Jake. Yeah, so basically it's a seven-year extension to 2026. The NFL and the union for the officials signed an agreement for a new collective bargaining agreement. So basically what they're saying is, other than a few fine points that I haven't really gotten through, other than there's going to be a vice president over something, nothing changes for seven years. They're still part-time. They still make a ton of money. They still have no repercussions for their actions or their mistakes. There's no cohesiveness from staff to staff or from unit to unit. Nothing is going to change. It is absolutely mind-blowing to me that you can watch a college football game in prime time and have 55 different camera angles, and you watch the average NFL game, and there's like six. That That's mind-blowing to me, how they still truck the equipment all over the place, and every stadium doesn't have all of the same uniform camera angles. Then go into the officials. Why do we still have part-time officials? Apparently their union is stronger than the NFL. We had it broken. They could have done it with the lockout. And they gave in. And now we have a seven-year extension to 2026 of the same crap. There are absolutely no repercussions for the mistakes that they make. We don't call them out. They're not on the front page of the USA Today. There's no fine. There's no nothing. You know what they get? The NFL head coaches and, and teams get, yes, you, you submitted these eight plays. Six of them, you were right. We were wrong. But that doesn't get published. Nobody gets to know that. There is absolutely no repercussion for being terrible at your job, your part-time job that you make a ton of money at. We don't have full-time officials. Add one extra one. Make them full-time. Let them live in a city and coach every day at practice or officiate every day at practice. There's things that could be done to make this better, and they did nothing other than sign a seven-year extension, so we're all screwed to 2026 with the same BS that we're dealing with now. Yeah, uh... Couldn't have said, just laid out everything that you need to know, right? Which is a lot of people don't know that referees are part-time, right? They all have, for the most part, a lot of them have big-time, full-time jobs like aside, lawyers. like lawyers on the side of being a referee, which to me is mind-blowing when you're talking about this. The fact that there's no cohesiveness is why we see a lot of issues from game to game. Why we see offensive and defensive pass interference called differently across the league because there's no everything there's all judgment calls going on constantly it's I understand it's never going to be perfect right I understand that you're a human being you're going to make mistakes but where we are and where we could be are so far off because of everything that Jake just stated it's it's incredible to me that they could not find that the NFL a multi-multi-billion dollar enterprise cannot find a better way to make refereeing, just at least try, right? It, it yeah. doesn't even seem like they're trying it. That's this my way. whole thing. That's my whole thing, Paige, is like I'm so frustrated with the way that it is. I get the human error. But if we add an official and we make them professionals and we make them accountable, accountable with accountability of what they did on Sundays and they have production meetings Monday where they go watch the tape as a staff and they get ripped by their boss for screwing up. I'm fine with that. I can live with the fact that I know we're doing everything possible to make the game better. The thing that drives me nuts is these son of a bitches and stripes think we're there to watch them. This half of them think they're comedians when they're announcing stuff. Now, just get the hell off the field. You're supposed to be invisible, and then you stop the game when there's a penalty. Here's the average life of an NFL official. You fly out on Friday evening after you finish your weekly job. 
You get together that weekend to get ready for the game. You call the game. You go home Sunday night, and you go to your law firm Monday morning. That's not professional. That's a part-time job. And when I say a lot of money, go Google what these dudes make. It's unbelievable. It's It's what the president of the United States makes. (laughs) It's it is unbelievable. When Jake told me, that's my problem. Just go look it up, right? Just go look it up. Spend some time on it, and then start tweeting at the NFL account like I'm going to about how we need changes, right? Because it's it's at a certain point we know this deal isn't going to change, right? We've we got seven years, but you bet your ass when 2026 comes around, I'm going to be standing outside somewhere yelling about yelling about how I need changes for referees. And I, I know, Jamie, this impacts fantasy stuff as well from a great perspective. Well, it absolutely does. Look, there, there's a lot. The inconsistency, I think, is the biggest issue because we can argue about certain rules and whether we like them implemented or not or whether yes. they should have been there. It's that on a game to game basis, I have no idea what isn't and what isn't going to be called. And I think one of the biggest examples of that is you see the games that like Mike Prayer is in the booth. How often, I mean, it's an incredible rate that he and the current VP, Al Riveron, Disagree yep. on these calls. That by prayer was the former VP of officials. So the rule didn't change between the time Mike Pereira was calling it and now Al Riveron. So why is there so much disagreement? Because there is no uniformity. We don't like again. Look at the new pass interference rule. If you're just not going to overcall anything, overturn anything, just stop to take the rule out. You don't don't make it challengeable. Yeah. I'm, I'm tired of this. Yeah. If, oh, what does egregious mean? What is either if if you this is the can of worms you opened up. If if you're not going to be able to actually overturn any of these calls, then don't even bother wasting our time. Yeah, you're just making the game longer, and you're taking away a timeout from a head coach. Yeah, that's what's happening. Yeah, I mean. We could live with the stupid rule changes here and there when something happens. If there's uniformity and if there's accountability for what they have to do, but instead of just going back to a regular job for the rest of the week and then we see them the next week and we don't know what crew they are and whatever else, it's just too blasé for a multi-billion dollar, by the way, tax-free entity still, the NFL, to have this issue. Yeah. Most important thing there, tax-free entity. Yep. Just in case you were wondering, keeping score at home, still tax-free entity. All right, we're going to move off of this and move into the most disappointing player to own in fantasy football, right? So I tweeted this out earlier. We actually got a tweet to all of us that Jamie responded to about how Mike Williams has been disappointing because of his injuries, but there's a lot of players in the NFL who haven't suffered any injuries, right? who are disappointing. And I'd like to stick in that category, right? Because injuries happen, it's tough to deal with, and you can't project those, right? I'm not going to put Saquon in my most disappointing because when Saquon's on the field, he's great, right? The guys that are disappointing is a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, who you drafted to be a top three wide receiver and is now the 24th overall wide receiver in the NFL, right? Guys like Joe Mixon that we just mentioned. Guys like Tariq Cohen, Juju Smith-Schuster, Todd Gurley, George Kittle, Antonio Brown. There's a lot on this list, right? So I wanted you guys to give it give it some thought. And, and Jamie, I'll go to you first. Who in your mind right now has been the most disappointing as we're through a quarter of the way of the season? Well, I think a lot of it has to go back to what you invested in them draft capital-wise. So one of them is going to be Odell Beckham. Yep. I mean, he is he's being targeted in the offense, but he's not being terribly productive. We talked about, we warned you on a lot of the stuff in the pre-show, or the preseason, I remember we talked about there was one outlet that rated him the number five overall player. He was a very common wide receiver number one overall for a lot of fantasy experts because they're like, oh, well, he's going from Eli to Baker Mayfield, so now all of his numbers just get an automatic boost and we don't think about it any further. 
uh, and he has been incredibly disappointing for you. Um, I, I think you know part of it's because of injuries to to others, but you know, look, Joe Mixon has been disappointing so far. You've probably spent a first round pick on him before last week. James Conner was very frustrating on, and a lot of the top receivers. I mean, Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, Juju Smith Schuster, yeah. Odell Beckham, Antonio Brown. I mean, those are five of the top 10 wide receivers that were going in drafts that have been really disappointing for you. Yeah, definitely. Jake, you're your guy who maybe sticks out or a couple of guys that stick out, maybe if there's anybody different than what has already been named. Yeah, Antonio Brown has to top the list, right? Yeah, like, he was still. Uh, you, you probably got him in the second or third and you were happy about it, but you can't be happy about that now. Julio Jones, I, I got really lucky and got a trade and got rid of him. I had him as my number one rated receiver. Um, I think he'll probably be okay because they're not going to run it at all. But he's been frustrating to own through four games of the season, right? Um, it, it all goes back to what Jamie said, and that's where you drafted them. The problem with fantasy is you got all these analytics expert stuff that don't project new coaching staffs, uh, bad offensive lines, the football aspect of it. You have to take into account when you're looking at these guys for this draft stuff, like DeAndre Hopkins is going to be fine too. He's going to get his, but that's a terrible offensive line. Um, he's always gotten his though. He'll be fine. Like it's only been four games. So some of this is pump your brakes, but some of these guys are going to drive you crazy and going to cost you your league. Yeah. I think a big reason too is look, there are guys that you're draft in, you know, as your wide receiver, like bottom end wide receiver two or flex play that if they're struggling, you put them on your bench, you drop them, you move on with your life. These guys right. can't do that. No. And I think that's what makes them even more frustrating that you have to play them because if you sit, you know, if you sit Julio Jones and he goes 10 for 160 and two touchdowns, you can't live with yourself. Yeah, no. You have to play these yeah. guys. A lot of the guys we're talking about. Some of the other guys that were mentioned in the- Le'Veon Bell has to be on that yeah, list. I was Nick gonna- Chubb until he had a monster game the other night because they finally went back to going to him. Yeah. The, a couple of other guys that have been mentioned other than what Jake just said is Sony Michelle was named quite yeah. a bit. Uh, Baker Mayfield was named quite told a bit. I, I hate to- We told you on both of those. I hate to say we told you. Uh, Devontae Freeman uh, named yeah, quite a bit. Uh, Stephon Diggs- uh, named quite a bit because if you own any of the a lot of the top receivers now like honestly you're talking for the top dozen receivers that's what it, there's a trend here and it's a lot of the wide so, receivers that have been a huge disappointment so thus far it's a great year for me to go wide receiver wide receiver in our yeah TDN yeah. yeah I was about to say Devontae Adams I mean now he's injured yeah. but he wasn't telling it till he had that big game last week yeah oh, you're we're gonna look back I'll even do it uh for Friday's podcast yeah. I'll look back at the top 10 wide receivers from most of the community and we'll look and see where they are now and then project out with the injuries and the things yeah. that have happened and go yeah I think with the exception of probably Michael Thomas we're looking at something that's not looking so good, it's right? Ca- it's counterintuitive yeah. to the what you normally think of when it comes to fancy wide receivers, which is safety, which is why you take them there because usually running back at the top is the volatile position. Yeah, especially we thought so this year. And now look at the receivers at the top. Usually, I mean, yeah, some guys disappoint, but usually those top ten guys are going to finish as at least wide receiver twos. Some of them haven't even been even close to that lately. No. Yeah, I think OJ, OJ Howard would be the other one. I mean, yeah. all the hundred mock drafts I did, he was gone and by round six, and all of them. You know, that that one's got to be extremely frustrating at this point. 
Yeah, no, it has to be extremely frustrating. There's there's just also, quite a few. All the tight ends. Like, people yeah. that were – like, Kelsey's been good, but Kelsey hasn't been – I'm going to use the he's, 14th overall pick in the draft. Good. He's the fourth overall no. tight end. Earth's so, if you – where you drafted him, not where he's supposed to be. Every tight end. Kittle yeah, has to be frustrating, too. And yep. so is Ertz. I mean, Ertz has been – again, Ertz has been fine, but not worth the second-round pick you were placing on him. So, really, a tight end, unless you waited and got Evan Ingram or you picked up, like, Mark Andrews or Darren Waller off waivers – You've probably disappointed with what you've gotten at that position so far relative to draft position. Yeah, very, very good point on the t- the whole tight end. We thought it was going to be average at best, and it's been below average even for the top-tier guys, which is obviously concerning. All right, we're going to give you a couple of waivers, uh, waiver wires to pay attention to this week. As we go on throughout the season, there are going to be less and less of these guys, right? Because it's on a week-to-week basis, we're starting to see the trends and the themes. It's not going to be these one up-and-down weeks. But there are a couple of guys that have come back. There are a guy that's going to come back next week that we're paying attention to. And because of an injury in Indianapolis, I have another guy on this list. So the first guy is Golden Tate. I have Golden Tate in a league. I believe Jake has Golden Tate in a league, but he is still available. I looked this morning in 43% of leagues. So, Jake, what is your confidence level going forward with Golden Tate? Uh, to the point where I'm highly considering playing him over Julian Edelman, not this week, but depending on who they're playing, it's going to be really interesting. I want to give him a week to see how he fits in the offense with Daniel Jones. Um, not necessarily over Edelman, but I got Edelman, Chark, uh, Allen Robinson, our TDN league. I'm 4-0, and but like the receiver position – it's kind of crazy. I got lucky to pick up Chuck. So I'm excited that I drafted Tate and to have him in the slot. Great run after the catch guy. Should be a high-volume guy. Good outlet for Daniel Jones. So I feel pretty good about having him. And I think if he's available in a lot of leagues, I would snatch him up in a minute. Is he somebody you're confident starting this week, Jamie? No, I'm not starting Golden Tate this week. I want him on my team. And if he's out there, you absolutely grab him. But no, I, I don't want to start him this week. I want to see how much he's used. I want to see where he is used on the field. Uh, there's just too many questions this week. I'm, I'm going to give it a week. The two guys that I have here that are coming back this week, or one guy's coming back this week, one guy's coming back next week, is Benjamin Watson and Chris Herndon. I know in Jamie in last week's podcast you talked about the fact that you'd rather have Chris Herndon. Is that still the case, and is now the time to go pick him up? Yeah, I mean, look, he's not going to be somebody you really want to play until Darnold gets back, but he has a connection with him. He can be a top eight tight end, and tight end position has been been a wasteland so far. So that is somebody that if you're hurting at tight end, uh, if, if you're just if you're going and trying to play Jimmy Graham and Tyler Eifert and guys like that every week, that is somebody I might invest a bench spot in. Uh, again, he's going to miss this week's game because he has yeah. to serve one more game. But uh, once Darnold is back, he's definitely a, a tight end one category. Worth mentioning too that Sam Darnold did practice today, which was the first time since he's he's had mono, obviously. And if you've had mono, I know people were cracking jokes about it, but it's it's terrible. And there's different cases, but seems like his was a pretty severe case. So good to see him back. Um, hopefully he can get back in action. Probably not this week, uh, but next week in a, in a game, which would obviously be a big boost. Jake, do you like either Benjamin Watson or Chris Herndon? Yeah, I like both. I mean, Tom Brady's going to need another outlet um, with Watson. And then, you know, Herndon's a solid player. So he gets back, adds another person to that offense. I'm going to throw out another name. Well, we're talking about New York, and that's on the Jets. Jamison Crowder, when Sam Darnold comes back playing the slot, got like 15 targets in week one. And he's on everybody's waiver wire. Yeah. Uh, unless it's just a super deep league. But he's going to get the targets. He looked great in the preseason playing the slot. He's a solid pro. And Darnold and him have chemistry. You can see that already. That's another guy. If you got to project out a couple weeks, maybe you do that. But 
It's a guy that could pay dividends for you later on, along, especially when you start getting a big bye week. Along those same lines, too, I've seen Robbie Anderson dropped in a lot of leagues. That's the same thing. I would pick him up and wait for Sam Darnold's return. All right, how about the last guy on this list? Because of the Marlon Mack injury, one of the sexy pickups this week is Jordan Wilkins. What are your thoughts on that one, Jake? Solid player, uh, better pass catcher than, than Mack, but they want to run the rock, and he's done a nice job filling in in the past. Uh, I mean, Mack's still one of those young guys that hasn't gotten the contract, that kind of stuff, so I, I would expect, unless this is just bad, he's going to play against a bad Kansas City defense and want to put up some numbers. Uh, they might take a few snaps away from him, I wouldn't touch Wilkins unless I was just really desperate, and I'm hoping Kansas City's blowing them out, and they got to be in, you know, shotgun, and Wilkins is, is playing, getting some catches. Jamie, your thoughts on Wilkins? Yeah, I mean that, that's actually why I like Naeem Hines in this game more, because uh, I, I think the yeah. Bears are going to have they're going to get behind in this game. They're going to have to keep up. They'll leave Hines in the game, yeah, all the time. I mean they can, they can give him carries. They don't do it a ton, but they can. It's not like they're afraid to. And he's a guy that can play all over the field. So I would much rather have Hines in that scenario than I would. Uh, Jordan Wilkins. A couple other names I want to bring up that uh, that are on the waiver wire that are worth adding. I already brought up Auden Tate before. Someone to keep an eye on, and we talked about him last uh, on the show last day was Deontay Johnson. Yep. Uh, he's I, I picked him up at our TDN like league last week. Yeah, I mean that he is the number two receiver there. Period. End of story. It's not James Washington as much as everybody wants it to be a thing, but with what's actually happening, he's somebody that it might even be worthy of a flex spot this week. All right. Uh, anybody else you guys want to throw out? Otherwise, I'm moving on to Thursday night football. All right. We're moving on. Moving right along. The Rams are going on the road to play the Seahawks. The Seahawks are one-and-a-half-point favorites at home. Obviously, the Rams took a beating uh, against the Buccaneers. Uh, and going on the road to Seattle is never easy, even now. Uh, I know it's a short trip, but it's still Thursday night. Uh, the Thursday night road stuff, does that continue, right? We've had two straight road teams win on Thursday night football. The Buccaneers won on Thursday night football, and then the Green Bay Packers or, uh, Green Bay Packers lost to the Philadelphia Eagles at home last week. Jake, what do you see happening in this one? You know, I go back to the Bengals throwing for 400 in Seattle in week one. Uh, that defense has not been that great. They don't get after the passer. Jared Goff has taken a ton of heat for playing bad because of the turnovers. I watched the game. He hasn't played that good since like week 12 last year. He was throwing freaking dimes if he didn't have somebody in his face. The Rams, like Sean McVay is not going to sleep this week. I tell you right, like his press conference I loved after the game. They kicked our ass. We're going to take it. I accept the challenge to get better. Like That was awesome. I was fired up after watching that. Their defense is solid. The Bucks had a great game plan. Offensive lines played spectacular. And Seattle is, limit, is limited what they're doing on offense. Um, I just think the Rams are better. I, I think the Rams go up there and I think they get it done. Uh, I think they put up 30, and I think they win 30-24. to 24. Ooh, I like it. Jamie, your thoughts? Uh, I agree. I think the Rams go up there and get the job done. Uh, I think Seattle is a good team. They're not a great team. Uh, that defense is very bad, uh, and it's it's going to be a problem for them. I want, I, just there's so many weapons on the L.A. sideline that I just I can't see. As good as Russell Wilson has played, and by far, Russell Wilson has been a better quarterback this year than Derek Goff. Yes. But – how, mu- how much can you keep up with what this Rams offense can do to that defense? And that, that's my biggest concern that I, I just I just don't know if they have the weapons to hold them. I'm not – I mean, I know it's – again, I know it's going into Seattle, but it's not the same. No, that, for sure. That defense is not intimidating. It's not the same Not the same defense, not the same environment. But I think it's going to be a close game. It'll be a one-score game, but I think the Rams get it done and we continue this Thursday night road team trend. All right, these two – by the one, one more note on the Rams, Jamie, uh, Jamie. We we were talking about this Todd Gurley thing all year, and I was really worried about the knee. Watching that dude in person, 
I can tell you what their plan is right now. They know they're good. They think they're going to win the division, and they want him in the playoffs. Yes. Malcolm Brown looks good and looks solid and looks big and looks physical. He's getting enough touches because they like him too. But Todd Gurley gets ahead of steam going. He's still the same dude. They got some knee stuff there, but I think they've pounded him so much the last couple of years. That's the plan. Is He's still going to be good. He catches it great out of the backfield. He, he almost needs a little space now because he's not quite as quick, but he looked damn good and really physical in person, and I am now convinced that's the case uh, with, with them is they're just trying to save him and limit the touches and the pounding he's taken during the regular season. So what happens then if in this game, right, it's nice to have a plan, but plans change because what happens if they go to Seattle and they lose, which is what I think is going to happen in this football game. I think it's going to be 27-24. I think the Seahawks are going to win. And then, oh, by the way, the undefeated San Francisco 49ers on Monday Night Football, who are playing the Cleveland Browns, get another victory and go 4-0. and And all of a sudden, you thought you had this division on lock, and you're looking up at two teams, and you're in third place in this division. What do you think happens? Does the plan then start to change? Because I'm in agreement with you. I think they thought, listen, we needed this guy last year in the postseason, and we did not have him. But you start to look ahead too much, and you're in week six, and maybe the plan needs to change, Jake. Some plan needs to change, but it ain't Todd Gurley's fault. It ain't Malcolm Brown's fault. They're getting production from those two guys. They couldn't run it at all against the Bucks, but nobody has. And golf through for 500 yards. That wasn't the plan, but they were down early, and that's what they had to do. So something needs to change in there, but it's not the running back position's issue because Malcolm Brown's been really solid. Either one of those guys that's been in has been pretty good. It's just the offensive line's not playing the same. They're, they're not get, you know, They put stuff on tape. Everybody's caught up to a little bit of what McVay's doing. It's up to him to alter the game plan and change those things, and I, I think he's up for the task. Look, the biggest problem with the Rams the last two years has been their defense is not playing to their talent level. Yes. And it's, it's now been a, a – a prevalent problem for them. I can tell you because I have them in fantasy and I'm playing another matchup this week because I They're playing a ton of zone and not a lot of man. Yeah. Marcus Peters isn't the same dude. Tlaib's not the same dude. They're savvy vets. They're better with their eyes on the quarterback and jumping routes and making plays, but they're getting older. That's Eric Weddle Eric Weddle's had a great career, but he's an older player playing in the back end of that secondary. Um, Littleton covers backs like a mother out of the backfield. Nobody covers a back man to man better than Littleton. But they're not real stout at linebacker up the middle either. So if Aaron Donald gets himself out of position or Brockers, you can gash him on the run. The other thing is that they're giving like five yards of carry. Um, they got issues on that defense. They need to figure that out too. Yeah, uh, I think it'll be an interesting thing to revisit on Friday's podcast if they go up to Seattle and get a loss. And then we're looking ahead and San Francisco primed after a bye week to to potentially go 4-0 and and you're looking up in the division. That's This division is, with the exception of the Arizona Cardinals, Every other team in that division is playing pretty well, and the Rams might find themselves in a in a different position than they expected to be uh, going into this season. All right, everybody, your parting thoughts here. Jake, I'll let you go first. Uh, nothing like yesterday's show. <laughs> <laughs> Just, uh, you know, my parting thoughts, I'm, I'm really excited for that Monday night game. i got a lot of thinking to do before we pick uh, that game and want to watch some games this weekend because I'm going back and forth in my head. It's going to be fun. It's been a long time since San Francisco has been that relative to be playing on Monday night. The Browns, if the Browns go out there and win, the hype train is back in full effect. Yes. My parting thoughts are like, I'm, I'm, I'm skipping ahead of all the games Thursday and, and Sunday, but we just talked about that. And I, my, the only thing in my head is like, I'm excited to see what happens. That's a big night. It's going to be a very interesting, 
we haven't had a Monday night game with that much implications yet. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, you have a 2-2 two and two team in Cleveland who's, you know, scratching and clawing their way back into not only relevancy but potential hype train. You have the only undefeated team in the NFC uh, any longer in the San Francisco 49ers at home. And my initial gut feeling when I looked at that was, Kind of feel like San Francisco's going to win, but then I started talking myself into, ah, this feels like a prime Baker opportunity on Monday Night Football. I'm really excited to, to preview that game with you guys on Friday. Jamie, your parting thoughts. Uh, my parting thoughts are keep an eye on Saquon Barkley. He's already out of the walking boot. They're teasing that he might be ready next week on Thursday Dude's night against the Patriots. Dude, they were showing him running and cutting this yeah. morning. Like, just kind of keep an eye on that. I still think I, I would be surprised if he plays that Thursday night game because we can give him 10 extra days of rest afterward, but... He apparently really wants to play the Patriots, so that that's something to kind of keep in mind. Look, I told you he'd be back faster than any human possible, but that is insane. Yeah, so Keep an eye on that if you're a Barkley or a Gallman owner. Yeah, I have – I as you guys know, I picked him first in, in, in our TDN fantasy draft, and I looked and I saw that update today and I said, there's no freaking way, right? Like, I, I just – I know he's a freak, and I knew he was going to come back early – but, oh, my God. Dude, I watched the highlights of him bouncing around at practice. He looked good. Yeah, he was out there cutting in cleats, like making runs and cuts and hopping and bouncing. looked like quick twitch. Like, I was like, how the hell is that possible? Yeah, it's uh, it'll be wild uh, to see if he can make it back that quickly for that Thursday night game. My parting thoughts are a courtesy to, to Jamie here <laughs> for sending me this tweet during our show that I could bring up and end in such a beautiful, lovely way. This tweet comes from Field Yates. Since the trade. Khalil Mack, in 18 games played, has 17 sacks, 10 forced fumbles, and one touchdown. In 20 games, the Raiders have played. In total, as an entire team, they have 18 sacks, 8 forced fumbles, and 2 touchdowns. So for those of you sitting at home, Khalil Mack, 1, Oakland Raiders, 0. That is my parting thoughts on today's podcast. Jake, how can everybody follow you on social media? Jake B. Arians on Twitter, Jake Arians on Instagram, and Shaq Barrett, still the NFC Defensive Player of the Month over Khalil Mack. Yeah, good, good on him. Uh, I'll still take the Bears defense. All right, uh, Jamie, your uh, social media handles. Uh, you can follow me at Jamie Eisner on Twitter. As, as much as I love Todd Bowles, as much as I love what's happening in Tampa, Nobody, nobody gets the hard going for me like Khalil Mack. So I had to obviously thanks. Shout out to Jamie for for bringing me right back to my petty page days. Uh, ending this podcast, you guys can follow me at the underscore sports page uh, on Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow the show at TDN Fantasy underscore on Twitter and at TDN Fantasy on Instagram. Sick of being upsold at gyms. My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.